So I got one message this week from somebody that said, man, I'm sorry that you feel under pressure, you know, um, in doing this series. And I, I, do, I do feel the tension there and uh, the fact that I, that happens every Sunday. If, if I don't feel like, uh, like there's a risk, you know, coming before you and proclaiming the truth of God on a Sunday morning, then I need to find a new, I need to find a new job. I need to do something different. But um, this morning, uh, I just wanted to, uh, I want to share something with you. It's a, it's a text message that I got from somebody uh, this week. Let's see if I can pull this off. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take them both, take them both over. So this was the message I got. Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses is a really cool dude. He did a lot of great things with God's help, but now we have Jesus who is greater. And, and, and then after that, it said, that's, that's the sermon for this week. That's my short sermon for this week. So that's it. I mean, that is, that, I, he's exactly right. That is, uh, uh-oh. What are we going to watch this morning? Um, yeah, let's not, Roy's got to take it back. You get it? Please? There we go. Okay. So I'm going to pray and then we'll go home. No, just kidding. Um, in a way, it is that simple. Uh, but there is so much depth in this passage. And, and let me tell you, I wrestled this week and I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled this morning with it this, this morning. Um, so we'll, we'll see how many messages I get this week. Uh, phone calls. Anyway, uh, have you ever felt alone? Have you, have you ever felt, uh, you know, alone in a crowd? Have you ever been in a group or have you ever been at a party and you just felt alone? You know, it, was, it, it, it can be a dark time, loneliness. Sometimes loneliness can, can last a long time. Sometimes we can feel lonely for a week or a month or a year. Sometimes that happens when we move somewhere new. You know, if, if, if you're, it, this is your first Sunday in Wyoming and you're just like, oh man, I... I don't know how I'm even going to be able to fit in, in this place. And, and we can begin to draw into ourselves maybe a new school or a new situation of some kind. And it, it feels like it's, it's me individually against the world. Like I don't have any help outside of just me. And it's an, it's an uncomfortable place to be. We, don't, we were created for relationships, so when we feel alone, it's, it's tough. It's it's hard, and it's in those moments that we often look to the familiar. You know, you, just as human beings, we're that way. You, you go to a carry-in dinner here at church or another church, and, and you just observe the room, and where does everybody sit? They sit with people that they know because it's familiar. It's uncomfortable to be outside of that familiarity. When you come to church here on a Sunday morning, I would almost guarantee that every person in this room, unless... You, you're, you're, a, you're our guest and you, you don't come here very often, that you're probably likely sitting in the same seat that you normally do. When you came in the door, you went right to that seat. Right? Um, I, I've, it's been great. I know the, we don't have the Frontier kids with us today, but the Frontier, frontier kids, they, sometimes they sit over here, but they've been kind of holing up over here in this section right here. And they've displaced a few people that normally sit all the time in that section. And it's, it's fun to see their, the, the regulars, their skin crawl because they have to sit somewhere else. I mean, it, it, can be, it can be that way for us. We like 
the comfortable. Um, And sometimes it's because we've stepped out in faith because of the call of God, and we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation, and we feel alone. Maybe that call was a call to believe. Maybe that call of God was a call to say, yes, yes, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ as my Savior. You, You proclaim with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, but now you're starting to get pressure from the outside world. Your friends are saying, well, are you sure this is the real thing? Or, or, or it's just, you know, I read somewhere that it said this, and it's, and it's getting hard. And your friends want you to pr- prioritize them over other things. As, as you begin to, to gain new priorities in your life, as God begins to change you from the inside out, it gets difficult and you begin to wonder if maybe the familiar wouldn't be a better place to go. I mean, it would be easy just to go back to the old ways, wouldn't it? Uh, the Jews that, that the, the preacher is writing to in the book of Hebrews, uh, that's what's happening to them. The, the struggle is getting real. Rome is turning the screws up. The temple has been destroyed now. And what do they do? Uh, they're struggling to stay true and faithful to this new way, which is the true way, but they're looking back to the old and the familiar. Thinking to themselves, maybe I'll just go back to that. Maybe I'll just go back to the Mosaic Law. Maybe I'll just go back to the Mosaic Covenant because that's, I, that's tangible. I can feel that. I, I know whether I'm doing that how I should or not. And, and actually, it's even worse than that. Some of them are even forsaking what they said they believed. which our passage teaches today wasn't really faith to begin with. Um, unbelief is an attitude. It is an attitude that refuses to believe the salvation that we have heard about. That is what the preacher is tackling in our passage this morning, and it is serious business. Our faith, our belief is serious business Okay, so the preacher already proclaimed that Jesus is greater than the angels. We looked at that last week. So why does he continue to press that Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than Aaron, greater than, because we're going to see that in the, in the next few weeks. And, and I think one would naturally consider angels greater than Moses. So if Jesus is greater than angels, wouldn't Jesus be naturally greater than Moses? And that's something that I think it's hard for us as Gentiles us who have not as much historical knowledge of what it meant to be a Jew, what it meant to be in the nation of Israel, because, and how highly they regarded Moses. Uh, Moses is a really big deal to them. There, there, are, there are two men in the history of the nation of Israel that, that they hold near and dear to them. Who, who are those two men? Moses is one, and and Abraham, yes. Abraham is the second one. Yes, God made a covenant with Abraham. Yes, God rescued Israel from bondage in Egypt and established the entire system of the Jewish religion through Moses. The preacher is tackling Moses here so that the people realize that they aren't to worship him. We're not to worship Abraham. We're not to worship Moses. We're not to hold him higher than God or Jesus Christ. We're not to, he doesn't say this here, but we're not to worship Mary. 
She was a servant of the Lord. He, Moses, is worthy of honor, yes. His faith, yes, is to be imitated. Moses was the mediator of Israel's covenant and worship. And all throughout Hebrews, the preacher contrasts this mosaic area, the the mosaic covenant and the mosaic provisions for worship with the new situation that God introduced through Jesus Christ. As 21st century followers of Christ, we need to remember that the entire system of the Jewish religion came through Moses. Obviously necessary because God set it in place to get it all started, but we must never, he must never be held higher than Jesus. No one should be. No one. Jesus is great. Jesus is greater in his person. He is greater than Moses. If you haven't already, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. And I made an attempt to get through the entire chapter today, uh, and then I, that proved to be futile, and so we're going to get through as much of the chapter as we can today. My goal is to get through the next chapter next week, but then now I just added the end of this chapter, so we'll see. Hebrews 3, 1 through Verses 1 and 2, therefore, so that therefore there, we, we remember, remember how we read the Bible, we need to remember that that, why that therefore is what it's there for. And, and he says, therefore, basically, all this that I already explained to you in the beginning of this sermon, chapters 1 and 2, because that is true, now this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. The title, Holy Brothers and Sisters, tells us that in this moment, he is talking to followers of Jesus Christ, to believers. These brothers and sisters are holy The audience, like many here today, were a part of the family of God. They were in the house. They have been set apart by his amazing grace. They are partners in the kingdom. And only true followers of Christ share in this heavenly calling. And as followers of Jesus, we also share in Jesus Christ himself. We are members of his body. We are partakers of the Holy Spirit. And as the children of God, we are recipients of both his amazing grace and forgiveness, as well as his discipline and correction. And we need to remember those two things, grace and forgiveness, discipline and correction, because they both happen regularly in every one of our lives. Now, in verse 2, we are reminded that Jesus is our apostle and high priest. And yes, there are others who have come who have been called apostles and who have been, who have been priests. But Jesus is different. Jesus was appointed and sent by God to do what he did. And he was faithful to that mission, despite how hard it was. Jesus did what only he could do and what needed to be done to save us. He lived a perfect life. He was killed, and he conquered sin and death by rising again. He is alive today. Jesus is alive today. He is God, after all. Moses? Where is Moses? Moses is dead. Moses is dead. All other priests and apostles, dead. 
Well, at least their physical bodies anyway. They, they have continued on to live eternally. And, and now we are told and we see that Moses was faithful in all God's house. He was faithful to the one he saw in the burning bush. That's when he was called. That's when the call of God, that's when Jesus' call came to Moses. Uh, look up here at Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, and this is why I say that it was Jesus. There, the angel of the Lord. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, when we see the angel of the Lord, <clears throat> that gives us a cue. Could this possibly be a theophany of Jesus Christ? Could this possibly be a manifestation of Jesus himself? And we know here that that is, in fact, the case. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. It goes on to say, the angel of the Lord says, hey, Moses, take your shoes off for you are standing on holy ground. When Moses knelt down, bowed before him, if it had been just a regular, if I can call them that, angel, the angel would have said, get up immediately because you, you, you don't bow down before me. Moses was called, there is, and, and there is no doubt that Jesus is greater than Moses. The, the, the preacher is telling us, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Don't let the past get in the way of your present. Don't go back to the old ways. As much as it may seem more familiar, it is not the best. We must fight against going back to the old ways, for there will be no rest found in them, and we will be pressured every day to go back to the old way. As the greatest apostle, Jesus brought to us the message of salvation, healing, and restoration. Now, apostle simply means one commissioned by God. Yes, Moses was called and commissioned by God, but Jesus was sent. It's different. Jesus is different. He was sent to bring the last word to us sinful people. Twelve times in the Gospel of John alone, we're told that Jesus was sent. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus, our prophet and priest and king. And as the apostle, Jesus represented God to men. And as the high priest, he now represents men to God in heaven. We're going to talk more next week about that priesthood and what that looks like. Moses, of course, handled similar ministries. He, he taught Israel. He was charged with teaching them uh, how, how to follow God. Many times Moses prayed on behalf of the people of Israel. Moses was primarily the prophet of law, and we know that the law is given to us so that we may know that we can't do it, so that we may know that, that we need something further than that. Moses prepared the way for the coming of the Savior to the earth, who is Jesus and the messenger of God's grace. Both were faithful to the work that God called them to, both Moses and Jesus, but only Jesus was sinless. Only Jesus was sinless. Life gets tough. Trials and hardships come. For the first century readers of this sermon, they must not go back to Moses. Don't do it. Now, imitate Moses in this way, by being faithful to the one who has put his call on you, that being Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than the person of Moses. Number two, Jesus was also greater in his ministry. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, let's read those. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house, I mean, again, for us as Gentiles, we, we look at this and we go, of course. But, but for a first century Jew whose parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents followed the Mosaic law as religiously as they could, this is, it's hard to change. It's hard to change. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. That word house is used six times in those four verses. And it refers to the people of God, not a building. You know, the church is us. It's not a building. We have to remember that. Moses ministered to the people of God, Israel, under the old covenant. And today, and at the writing of the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ ministers to his church the people of God under the new covenant. The contrast for us is clear and simple. Moses was a servant in the house while Jesus was a son over the house. Moses and likewise us are members of the household. Jesus built the house. Jesus calls us. Jesus stands at the door of our heart and knocks and says, come unto me, open the door. Let me come in. The preacher here makes the deity of Jesus very clear. He is God. Jesus is God. It isn't confidence in ourselves that we should have because we were always prone to fail. If you're honest with yourself, you know. It's hard sometimes and I fail. Our confidence is in our Savior, Jesus, because he never fails. Jesus saved us. Jesus provides us with confidence and hope that we are indeed born again, that we are his. So let's enjoy that hope that we know that we are his every day. Every day we get up in the morning, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Jesus, thank you that, that my hope is in you today. It's not in that my car is going to run all day long. It's not that I'm going to have enough uh, dollars at, at, at the end of this day as I, if, as I fill out the bills. Um, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you are where my hope is. And, and even when hard things come at us, we can glory in his hope because of, of who Jesus is and what he has done. He has already shown us so much. We, we have a huge advantage over these first century Christians because we not only have what was taught to them about the Old Testament, we have their stories too. We have what Jesus did. It should be easier. It should be easier. See, we can endure because we know how it ends. Do you have physical pain and suffering in your life? Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus. Relational and emotional hardship, brokenness. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Unsure of what the future holds. Maybe you're like in limbo. Maybe you're, you're in a job right now that you're thinking about, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. It's, it's just chewing me up and spitting me out. And, and you're, but, but yet you're standing there going, but, but what am I going to do? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Temptations knocking on your door? Do you have a decision to make? Yes, I'm going to go this way. No, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to go this way. Meditate on God's word. Soak in the truth of Jesus. Whenever it is, whatever it is that you are facing, you are not facing it alone. We, We are not walking this earth alone. The enemy is the one who wants you to feel like you're alone. The enemy is the one who wants you to feel like there's no hope in your situation. There is always hope when we fix our eyes on Jesus. Believe him. You can have confidence that he is right here with you and that he knows exactly what you are going through. The enemy says, ah, yeah, but he doesn't. You're a 12-year-old in a 21st century world. Jesus does Wait, was Jesus 12 at one time? Yeah, he was. He was five. He was eight. Now, I can't say that he was 67, because we know that's not true. But he experienced everything common to man in the 30-plus years that he lived this life. So... This comes kind of towards the end of those six verses. And, uh, and, and we, in a manner of speaking, we prove our genuine confession of faith by the fact that we are steadfast, confident, and that we have hope. You know, we aren't, we aren't burdened by our past or threatened by the present, but we're living in the future tense as we await the blessed hope of the Lord's return. That, that this heavenly calling motivates us to keep on living for Jesus Christ when the going gets tough. Verse 6, And we are in his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This is where we often get tripped up. And I just want to read for you what John MacArthur, how John MacArthur explains this. This is how, how he explains it. This does not mean this, this we hold firmly to our confidence. This does not mean, as many have misinterpreted, that we must earn salvation by perseverance, that, that somehow that steadfastness is, is earning us salvation. We can neither save ourselves nor keep ourselves saved. The meaning is simply that continuance is the proof of reality. We can tell if we are really the house of God because we stay there. The the one who falls away never belonged in the first place. Apparently, there were many Jews who had fallen away, and it is because of them the writer of Hebrews gives these words, which both warn and encourage. Some were falling away. Some, no doubt, had even made an outward profession of faith. But in both cases, they fell away from the church, proving that they were never a part of it in the first place. The true saints persevered, and their perseverance was evidence of their salvation. John 8, 31 says, If you abide in my word, Jesus said, then you are truly disciples of mine. 
One of the clearest truths in the New Testament is that the Lord keeps those who belong to him. John 6.39 says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Jesus said, No one will snatch them out of my hands. They will not be taken from me. If you have family members who have strayed away, pray for the Holy Spirit to guide them out of the ditch and back onto the road. Because that's, that's the question that we all have, isn't it? Maybe you're in that situation. Well, am I really saved? Is that family member really saved? Because they lived, they lived well for a while and right now they're just not. Well, if you're in that place yourself, please, please, please. Have a conversation with God. God, tell me. Help me understand. Am I in your house and I have just willfully gone into a dark room? Help me get out of that dark room. Help me get out of that ditch that I chose to go into. It's not a matter of losing your faith. It's a matter that you're just doing it on your own right now. We need to ask ourselves that question. Because, look, we, Moses did not live a perfect life. All of the saints, saints that we read about in Scripture, the disciples, they all struggled with doing right things at the right time. We all do. That is not evidence of no salvation or, or losing our salvation, with some, which some like to say that we can. So as we move from the greater ministry of Jesus to the next point in the rest of chapter 3, the wandering of Israel in the wilderness is is presented front and center. This is the illustration that the preacher is using. This confidence and hope that we can have in Jesus is that the preacher is talking about was a reality for two men in the nation of Israel. Uh, The entire nation is parked at the Jordan River. They are poised. God has brought them to this place so that he may give them the promised land. He sends, God God tells them, send send in some spies to check out the land so that you can kind of, kind of, make a plan as to how we're going to go at this. And those spies come back and they're like, man, this land is unreal. Milk, it's a land of milk and honey. It's, it's prosperous. They, they brought grapes the size of baskets. I don't know how big the grapes were that they brought, but they had to carry them on a, on a stake. They were so heavy and, and amazing. And, and Caleb and Joshua were like, yes! God says he's going to give it to us. Let's go. But the other 10 spies, it, it, it literally says they wept. They were scared to death of the people in the land. They said, there's no way we can do it. We can't take this. Yeah, exactly. That's what God's trying to show them, right? No, you can't. You're not the, I'm, I'm providing this. I'm giving this promised land to you and and they cried and they wept and they complained and they hollered and they even said if we could only be back in Egypt 
And in that moment, what, what are they doing? That is a moment of unbelievable unbelief. We don't believe God can do this. That's where their faith ended. And the writer here is saying they had no faith. Now, while, and, and what happens? What God, just his anger burns. I mean, I, I read some descriptions of, of what this actually meant in, in that passage. God, oh man, he was done. In fact, there, the, the consequences for that unbelief was what? All of those who were over 40 years, I think it was 40 years old, you're not going to see the promised land. It's, it's not going to happen for you. And, and the incredible thing as I've, I've wrestled with this is that included Moses. Moses didn't lack faith. But Moses suffers the consequences of the decisions of most of the people's unbelief. So they, they wander around and they're tested in the wilderness for 40 years until the very last person is dead. Now, as Christ followers, we know that God is taking us to the promised land, to heaven, and and, and, and we should reveal the same kind of joyful confidence and hope as we live every day of our lives, just as Joshua and Caleb did. We believe. Do you? Do you believe? Is trusting hard? Yes. Were those priests after 40 years who had to step into the Jordan River that was at flood stage and God said, you know, I'm not going to part this before you step in. You got to trust me and you got to step in and then I'll part it. You think they were a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious? But what do you think happened in their hearts and in their souls when they stepped into that water and God held it up? Because you see, we have account after account after historical record after historical record where God did unreal and amazing and supernatural things. He stopped well, we say he stopped the sun. He stopped the earth for crying out loud. Point three this morning is the application of what the preacher's been telling us. It's why we find the word therefore again. Some, some, some of your translations say so. The NIV says so. Verse 7 through 11, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters. And this is different than the first brothers and sisters. This is not holy brothers and sisters. This is brothers and sisters of the same race. The same people group. That none of you 
has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Number three is do not harden your hearts. Let's not harden our hearts. The Israelites heard God's voice over and over and over. They were saved from their bondage in Egypt by the power of God. They saw unbelievable plagues, supernatural events. They were saved in a way that pointed to Jesus' future work. They, they were, their families were saved by the blood of lambs. They were led in a miraculous and supernatural way. They, Egypt gave them wealth as they left the nation. Only God can do that. God led them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day when they came to the edge of the promised land that God had promised them, a land full of blessing and prosperity. They balked. They chose a state of unbelief. They didn't trust God. Many, many times over, the majority of their group wished they were back in bondage. They wanted to go back to, the what, to what they knew. Though it was hard, I guess somehow they thought it was more comfortable. They were deceived by sin. They, they gave in to what it promised. Because look, sin will always promise more than it will ever deliver. And it will keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay. If they had truly trusted God, they wouldn't have turned away from the living God. The promised land would have been theirs. It would have been that generation's. God proved himself over and over to be faithful to him. Even in the 40 years of wandering, God proved himself to be faithful. Again, he freed them from Egypt. He parted the Red Sea and saved them from Pharaoh's great army. He even destroyed that army over and over and over. They doubted and rebelled. They, they fashioned a golden calf. It's like Moses is up on the mountain. Like 40 days is too long. Sounds like Americans. Like 40 days is too long to wait. They're like, he's not coming back. So you know what? Let's, let's gather all of our gold. Let's melt it down. Let's make an idol. And let's worship the idol because, and, and they said, the idol took us out of, out, of, out of Egypt. What? How does that happen? That's how deceitful and sneaky Sin is, and, and we have got to be careful. They grumbled and griped constantly. They hardened their hearts. The preacher reminds these first century people to respond in belief to what they hear about Jesus. Not rebel like their ancestors. Look at verse 14. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We know, we know that we have come to share in Christ because we're holding on. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Today, if you hear his voice, believe. 
Follow him, trust him, no matter what, no matter how hard the future looks, no matter if it sounds like something you want or not, believe, follow, know that he will have your best interests in mind. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? In other words, wouldn't you think that they would be the ones that would have faith in God? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Even after all that God had done for Israel, after all that God has done for us, please, please listen, hear, follow, obey, believe. Colossians 1, 13 and 15 describes what Jesus did. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, the house in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When we see children whose parents try to give them everything and they turn around and they screw their parents, what do we think of those children? Those ungrateful, unloving, selfish children. That's what we do with the kingdom of God, isn't it? Jesus gives us all of this and and we say, thank you. But I still got some stuff over here that I want to do. And I would caution us that that really feels like unbelief. Now, when I stood on this stage and, and... told my wife that I loved her and that I would, I would be together with her for better or worse, sicker or poor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Did I know what all that would entail in that moment? <laughs> Not even close, right? I mean, it can be tough and rough. That's what happens when we surrender. That's what happens when we believe, when we surrender our life to Jesus. We don't know what all that entails. We don't know what all he needs to work out in our life. And we need to remember that there's still in you and me, in all of us, there's working out that he has to do in our life. Okay, we're going to fail. But, but if we find our hearts getting harder and harder and harder and harder to the things of God, we better be concerned. And we better not be banking on the fact that I said a prayer one day. So I'm good. Because your life as one who is a follower of Christ will bear witness to the change. Bob said it perfectly. God changes us from the inside out. It's it's not our outward stuff that we say and do that that somehow um, changes our inside. It, It comes from the inside out. And he's doing a work in our heart. And that then bears itself out in how we act and what we say and what we do and, and, and how we humble ourselves when we've screwed up. How we turn to him instead of ourselves or our money or our things. Psalm 95, write that in your notes. Psalm 95 was sung over and over and over in the temple as a reminder to all those who came after the 40 years in the desert to trust God, to not harden their hearts. 
Read through that psalm this week in addition to chapter 4 and 5 of Hebrews. Let it soak in and encourage your faith. Maybe you're reading the book every day or maybe you're reading through the whole book every week. If you are, great. Don't stop. You see, the greatest sin in the world is unbelief. It's unbelief. It is the greatest offense against God and it brings the greatest harm to ourselves. And in the end, when we hear the truth of salvation and we don't believe When we see the works of God over and over and over again and we hear the gospel time and time again, salvation through Christ over and over and we don't believe, we will not go to heaven. He makes that clear in chapter 1. We have got to take this seriously. We must evaluate our life and, and if we find evidence that we have just been talking a talk and not living it and our heart is getting harder and colder, then we need to stop. And we need to get on our knees and we need to pray. God, save me. Do we make mistakes? Yes. Do we have times of doubt? Yes. And when we confess those, God says that he is faithful and just and he forgives us of those things. I guess for me the question is this. Is your heart slowly growing harder and harder? In, in, in my, is my trust and faith in God actually weakening? And if so, I, I need to evaluate whether I have truly surrendered my life. Are you experiencing peace in your life even though hard things are happening? That's the other side. Or, or have you just been going through the motions and whitewashing the outside like the religious leaders of Jesus' day? Do you have peace? Or is there a constant unsettling in your soul that continues to nag at you? Uh, A few weeks back, Pastor Michael got a call from a doctor at the hospital and says there's a man here who has agreed to see a pastor. And he said that he'd see the pastor as long as he didn't preach at him. She said he's afraid to die, and he's going to soon. But he agreed. Pastor Michael went up, and he shared with him, and he shared with him. And that man prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. And in that moment, he was no longer afraid to die. We can't make that up. We can't will a fear of death away. It can only come through the peace of God, which comes through Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I have a saving faith, there will be peace. Let's live the truth of what we've heard and how and know to be true. Our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord, will lead to peace and hope in life. And, and therefore, to, for our friends as well, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, that's our go-to. That's when, when we're in the house, that's where we go. We go to, to God to help us with that anxiety and without, with that struggle. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Return to the word of God day after day after day. And your heart will not grow hard. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
Oh, faith is the one thing required, the one and only thing required to enter into the promised land. And, and faith allowed them to be successful when they finally did. Now, what did they do when God, oh God, the, the people that were in that promised land, uh, they were terrible. They were evil upon evil and God was going to destroy them all. And he wanted the nation of Israel to do that very thing. And what did they do? They didn't want to do it. And there came more struggle and more trouble. No, Jesus, our Jesus, our Emmanuel, he was with them too. He was right alongside them as he is us. And if you don't believe he was along with them, I want us to look at this last passage. The worship team can come up for our final song this morning. Before Joshua defeated the, the city of Jericho, before God defeated the, the city of Jericho, Joshua met Jesus. Don't believe me? Look here. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then, in case you think it's just angel Gabriel, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did. And right there in that moment, Joshua was worshiping at the feet of Jesus. We too, in our belief, will worship one day at the feet of Jesus. May those who have heard today respond with belief and not harden your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you for the gift of salvation for the opportunity that all of us have here today to evaluate our life. And I pray that those whose hearts have been growing cold would be warmed by your spirit. Father, may we as a, as a church family, as a congregation, as a community, of, be, be a, a community of true faith not just after the blessings or just after what we can get and in the end we just don't trust you anyway. May we heed your encouragement today to us. May we hold to your word. May we hold to the truth of what you speak to us and call us to do and be. And Father, as we do, just as you intended for the nation of Israel to be, an example to all the other nations to who the true, the one true God is. May that be true of us here at North Hills. May we, as we are in and around the lives of other people, may they see our lives and know that we serve the one true God. We are in your house. In Jesus' name, amen.